So we're taking on a really easy topic this morning, talking about God's wrath. Easy, easy peasy, right? It's not a heavy topic or anything. But uh, <clears throat> when Ian called or emailed me and said, hey, are you willing to speak? And two, uh, the topic is wrath. He did give me an out. And he said, if you don't want to tackle the subject of wrath, uh, then don't worry about it. Pick your own topic and, uh, and I'll take, take it on next week. And uh, I thought about it, and to be honest with you, my first instinct was, yeah, I'd rather not actually take the subject of wrath, because it's pretty heavy, uh, to say the least. But then my next reaction was, but that's not really, that's not really fair of me either. I mean, one towards Ian, to like, saddle him with all of the hard subjects. But also, wrath is, wrath is in the Bible. It is from beginning to end, Old Testament and New, talked about by Jesus, uh, not just the Old Testament prophets, and so if we want to have a, f- a full faith and a full understanding of what our faith is, then we have to wrestle, we have to come to some kind of understanding of God's wrath. And so I decided, no, I'm not going to pass the buck, so to speak. I'm gonna, uh, we're going to tackle this. Now, we're going to tackle it today a little bit differently, just in the sense of, I had this sort of brainwave midweek that I thought maybe we could do this by illustration, and that sounds terrible as it's coming out of my mouth, but we do it by illustration as opposed to necessarily sort of just putting together, you know, a really well-crafted message. So that's what we're going to try, and I will need some assistance from some of you as we go forward. But um, yeah, how many of you are excited to talk about wrath? Woo-hoo! Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's kind of like, you don't even know what to say. Uh, So I became a a Christian, I became a believer, just prior to my 17th birthday. And uh, I remember this event really, really well. Uh, It's actually one of those sort of life moments that I look back upon, and and it was a real turning point, really, a real lesson from God. So I was driving to uh, a friend's place. I had a new group of Christian friends, and I was driving to their place because it was just a get-together, at least that's what I thought. And as I'm driving there, I was in, it was a two-lane road, sort of like side-by-side, and I was driving, and I knew that I had to make a, a right-hand turn uh, within, you know, the next 100 meters or so. And so I wanted to get over into the right-hand lane so I could make my right-hand turn. Well, the guy beside me was in some kind of sports car. I was driving my little S10 pickup, and he was driving some sports car. And I put my indicator on, and I actually, and I slowed down, true story, I slowed down to go in behind him. And as I slowed down, do you know what he did? He slowed down. And I could tell he was looking at me, and I knew that he slowed down because I was slowing down, and he didn't want to let me in. So then I reacted, and I was like, oh, you know, you kind of grumble like you do when people are being a jerk on the road. And, and, and so then I sped up, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to push this S10, right? Speed right up. And as soon as I started to speed up, you know what he did? Sped right up. And this happened probably two or three times as I'm trying to just make a right-hand turn at an upcoming road. Why? Like, why, right? I mean, this was my question. I, I don't know this guy. I don't know anything about him. Why did he all of a sudden decide that he wanted to make my life difficult when all I want to do is get into a lane and make a right-hand turn? So I confess that uh, as a, as a uh, young man, I had a bit of a temper, and, and this kind of enraged me. And so what I did was I slammed on the brakes so that he wouldn't have the possibility of slowing down on any minute. And then I jumped in right behind him. And then, not, I'm not recommending any of this, but, and then I decided I'm following this guy 
because I am going to something. I don't know what, but uh, something's going to go down. So he, he actually made a right-hand turn where I wanted to make the right-hand turn, and then he actually made a left-hand turn down the street where I had to make a left-hand turn, and then he actually made another left-hand turn right onto the street where I was going. And I thought, well, this is perfect because, like, he can't get out. I've got him trapped. And, and so he continued up the road, and I decided I was going to park at my friend's house because I knew that he was trapped, right? He, it wasn't a street that he could get off of. I knew that I could find him. So I parked in my friend's driveway, and a couple of my friends came out. They're like, hey, Mike, how's it going? And I was like, I'll be right back. And they didn't know what was going on. And I stormed off wanting to find this guy and find his car. And again, I have no idea what I would have done if I actually found him in his car. Uh, I think what happened is that he pulled into his garage. Because I walked up and down that street looking for his car, and I could not find his car. And I was so mad. And I came back, and I was like, oh, enraged and what have you. And, and my friends were like, what happened? And I told them the story. And, ah, and, uh, and then they said, well, actually, we, you know, it's, a birth- we, it's a surprise. It's a birthday party for you. Because I was turning 17. I was like, oh, oh God. okay. So then I felt a little bad, right? I'm kind of in a bad mood. And then they gave me my present. And so they gave me a box. And, uh, and I opened the box. And what was inside the box was this very gift right here. It was my very first student Bible. And as soon as I opened it, and as soon as I saw that it was a Bible, I instantly knew that God was saying something to me. And, uh, and one, of, one of the two things that God had to go to work on me really quickly when I was a young person, one was my temper. Uh, I had a lot of anger issues, and I had to deal with that. And two was my language. I had potty mouth, and we needed to deal with that as well. And uh, I always remember, because I was so upset, about and so enraged and probably going to get into a fight or at least have a verbal confrontation, couldn't find a comeback, and then I'm presented with a Bible as my birthday gift. And uh, it has stood out uh, to me for a very, very long time. Let me ask you a question. Please give me feedback because I, I love response. What makes you angry? Shout it out. People who drive and don't use their Yes. Yes. Agreed. Yeah, people that don't use their signal light. People that turn right on red. There's a driving theme that's developing here. Hey, eh? I see that. Yeah. What else makes you angry? Ah, yeah. People who are a little bit power hungry, power tripping. Yeah, absolutely. Anyone else? What makes you angry? Come on, confess. I just told you a little bit of mine. All right. We're back to the road again. Yeah. Road rage. All right, we'll start a course on that in September. Uh, dishonesty. Yeah. Right. Yes, when people won't listen to us. Yeah. What's that? Self-righteous arrogance. Yeah. I'm better than you. Yeah. What else? Anything else? Ah, interesting. Sometimes we, we can be upset at our own ignorance or stupidity. That's good. That's good. Does anyone like being misrepresented? That's another one for me that really gets me. When someone says something about me or somehow represents me in a way that I don't think is, is true, that, that's always uh, upsetting to me. Yeah. So when we look at, when we look at the, the conversation of wrath in the scripture, uh, wrath... I mean, it sounds, I don't know about you, but when I hear wrath, I hear rage. Does anyone else hear that? 
wrath and rage just seem to almost go like hand in hand. Um, I don't know that, that that's actually the right translation or transliteration. Um, biblically, there's a lot of places that kind of parallel God's wrath and his anger. And so we could say that, that at least to a certain degree that when we're talking about God's wrath, we're, we're not necessarily talking about God's rage, especially the way we think of rage, because when we think of rage, we think of ourselves sort of in an out-of-control state. Uh, but rather, we could look at it from anger, and often even that's tough for us because often our anger, we, don't, we sin in our anger. But we could look at wrath from the perspective of God's anger, but under control. And I think one of the, Ian used a big word uh, last week, anthropomorphizing. And the whole idea that we always sort of uh, throw on to God these human uh, characteristics that, that don't necessarily belong there. And so I think one of our issues when we talk about God's wrath or rage or anger, or what have you, is we superimpose our own sort of fleshly, sinful ideas of what that looks like onto him, and then we go, well, God certainly couldn't be like that. But is it possible that God can actually be angry? I would even say, is it possible that God could even rage, but do so in a way that is under control and is not sinful? And I would suggest to you, yes, he can, because he is God. So I want to walk through Romans, because I thought Romans was a great place to sort of look at sort of the story of wrath as Paul sort of breaks it down and over human history. Um, and so what I'm going to do is I'm just going to read some passages of scripture. And then what I'm hoping is that I'll be able to get a few volunteers to help me with um, some props uh, up here. And this will be sort of the illustration uh, looking at how we can understand God's wrath in terms of human history. So I'm looking for volunteer number one. And I'll tell you right now, it's not a lot of work. Uh, what you will have to do is you will have to hold something for maybe five to ten minutes. Any volunteers? Any volunteers? Going once, going twice. Ann White, thank you so much for coming on up and volunteering. It's lovely to have you. Let's hear it for Ann White, everyone. Dun. Thanks, Ann. I knew I could pick on you. Okay, so if you wanted to stand over here. So we're going to work through Romans uh, from the perspective of God's wrath. And again, this is Paul. Uh, wanting to make sense of who Jesus is and our, his understanding of sin and God's judgment and wrath and then who Jesus is and what have you. And he's doing this largely to a Jewish audience that does have this sense of, of potentially self-righteousness, that we're saved by works, we're saved by our heritage and what have you. So he's really giving an explanation of, of what wrath and sin looks like from a perspective of human history. So Romans 1, if anyone's going to read along in their Bibles uh, or on your phones or what have you, Romans 1, 18 to 20 is where we're starting. And so it says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. And then it goes on to say, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, 
being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. So the wrath of God is being revealed. So here's a really interesting fact about God's wrath that I had not actually contemplated before. The wrath of God is not just something that is to come, as in the judgment. The wrath of God is actually being revealed in the here and now, over the course of time. And I think that Romans 1, the rest of Romans 1, and even into verse chapter 2, actually begins to show us how the wrath of God is being revealed. So what we're going to do, just to start, I'm just going to come over here. Uh, the, the jar that we have, that I'm going to ask Anne to hold, this is a representation of God's wrath. So this is God's wrath being poured out on humanity. Well, you can just hold it for now, and yeah, pe- people can imagine. If you want to pour, feel free to, feel free to pour. So we have this Romans 1 verse where it says, God's wrath is being revealed from heaven. And then if we move on to Romans 2, verses 1 to 5, this is what it says. It says, you therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. For at whatever point you judge the other, you are condemning yourself because you pass judgment, do the same things. You who pass judgment do the same things. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere man, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, tolerance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness leads you to repentance? But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath, when his righteous judgment will be revealed. Let me read that last part again. Because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath, when his righteous judgment will be revealed. So I'm going to give Anne yet another picture. And it's another picture, because the pictures will always represent God's wrath. So we have the wrath of God that's being revealed here and now. And then we have us storing up wrath because of our unrighteousness, because we fall short. Then we're storing it up for the day of wrath, which is also known as the day of judgment. So the beginning of Romans is basically a picture of God's wrath because we deserve it. I need another volunteer. Yeah, come on up. You can stand right beside her. All right, so Romans 3. Are they heavy? Are you okay? That's okay. This glass is it's more authentic. Uh, Romans 3, uh, 9 to 12. Let's read this. What shall we conclude then? Are we any better? No, not at all. Have we already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under sin? As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away and have together become worthless. There is no one who does good. Verse 20 says, therefore, no one will be declared, be declared righteous in the sight by observing the law. Uh, rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. And then verse 23, one we're all very familiar with. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Summary, there is no one righteous. All have fallen short of the glory of God. So unfortunately, Richard, 
gets yet another picture of judgment. And then Romans 3, 5 to 6 says this. So we're bouncing around a little bit, but for the most part, we're moving in a chronological order. Romans 3, 5 and 6 uh, says this. But if our unrighteousness brings out God's righteousness more clearly, what shall we say? That God is unjust in bringing his wrath on us? And then he actually puts in brackets, I'm using a human argument. Certainly not. If that were so, how could God judge the world? So in, es- in essence, what he's now asking question is, is God just by, by making judgments on us? And the answer, of course, is yes. Because God's wrath and his justice are tied together. We cannot unwrap God's justice and God's wrath. The two are together. And yes, God is just when it comes to him bringing his wrath on us. So unfortunately... This isn't a very good story so far. Uh, we have yet another picture of God's wrath. I need another volunteer. Someone else? Someone else? Pat, you had your hand up earlier. <laughs> Come on, Pat. And you can stand uh, right beside Richard here. So Romans 3, we're going to read a different portion of Romans 3. And I'm going to suggest, well, maybe it's getting better. Romans 3, verse 21 to 26. And I'm going to read some of this. You've heard this already. But now a righteousness from God, apart from the law, has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice, because in his forbearance he had left sins sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time, so as to be just and the one who justifies, sorry, so as to be just, and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Okay, so there was a lot of kind of weird wording in that. Long story short, a righteousness from God through faith in Jesus to all who believe. However, it is still saying that there needs to be a punishment. So, we're getting closer to good news, but even in Romans 3, we are not free from God's judgment yet. But it's beginning, to, it's beginning to hint. It's beginning to say, but a righteousness that comes from God, not from ourselves, uh, comes through Jesus Christ by those who have faith in him. And then Romans 5, 6 to 11. We'll read this. You see, at just the right time, when you were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? 
For if, when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. So it's still a picture of judgment. Because as as long as we're talking about Christ and the punishment that he took upon the cross, we're still in the category of judgment and wrath and punishment. However, what changes in this scenario, if I may, is that the conversation, and stick with me here because we're going we're gonna to keep moving around here, move parts. It's been wrath for us, wrath for us, wrath for us, wrath for us, deserved wrath for us, deserved wrath for us. However, instead, as we get to this point, the wrath is no longer being said to be poured out on us. The wrath is now being poured out on his son, Jesus. And so, Pat, you have to step up to the table. And again, we're just sort of illustrating because we don't have it. But the wrath is being poured out on his son instead of us, which is, you just you do your thing, yeah. So wrath, punishment, wrath, punishment for us, wrath, punishment, wrath, punishment, but for Christ. Romans 8, I need another volunteer. Someone else? Come on, does this look hard, people? It's an easy job. Oh, excellent. Yay, Betty. All right, so you can stand beside Pat. I'll keep shifting over this way, actually. So Romans 8, 1 to 4, says, There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through the law of the spirit of life, set us free from the law of the sin of death. For what the law was powerless to do and that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature but according to the spirit. So the good news is there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So, now, if you're superstitious, get over it. Uh, So, what we have here, feel free to open that. I believe in God, not superstition. So, feel free to open that and pop that open. I think it just pushes right up. Yeah. All right. So, now we have... Judgment, wrath for us. Judgment, wrath for us. However, God says, no, 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 no. I desire, and we'll get to this a little bit more, I desire to step in and take what you cannot take yourself. So judgment and wrath upon his son. And now we are protected. We are shielded from the judgment that would have been due to us because of that. However, if we move forwards to the final book of the Bible, which is Revelation, we also see that there is still a final judgment. And it says here in uh, Revelation verse 20, it says, Then I saw a great white throne and him who is seated on it. 
Earth and sky fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which was the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what he has done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So what we have, if you can hold this, please, is, is this making sense by any chance? Any chance? Okay. So what we have is the story of wrath and judgment on us, wrath and judgment on us. God says, you can't handle this, and I so long to be in relationship with you. I so long that we can, have, that we can be reconciled, we can be present. So he says, my, my wrath and my punishment will go upon my son Jesus. And so all of that is poured out on his son, on the cross. Little sidebar, I was reading a, a really interesting book, and it talked about how Jesus uh, wept almost tears of blood as he asked if this cup could be taken from him. And, and the author said, it, it almost seems like Jesus is weak in that moment because he said there are probably have been many, many martyrs through the saints, through the years, uh, that died a much more dignified death than kind of like crying out in fear. And what he said was, w- what we have to read into that passage is that Jesus was not just crying out to God for relief from the punishment that he would feel himself, but rather Jesus was taking the punishment, the wrath, for all of humanity on his shoulders at that time. So those tears of blood that he's crying out are not, I'm afraid because this is going to hurt me as a person and my physicality, but they were tears that said, I know that I am about to take the full brunt of God's wrath and his punishment not just for one person, not just for, for the Jews that are in Jerusalem at this time, not just for the people in the Middle East, for, for all people, for all time and eternity, for all space. I am about to take the wrath and the punishment for that. Which gives a little bit of a picture when we see Jesus saying, if you're willing, would you take this cup? Because he wasn't, as I would say to the teens, he wasn't punking out. He just knew what he was about to, to take on. And the idea of it was overwhelming. So we get to this, we get to Christ, and then we get to what I would call the option. That we continue, even though we have the opportunity to fall under Jesus, to receive him by faith, to be under his blood, to be protected by him, we don't have to choose it. And so we can still be those who end up on the receiving of God's wrath and God's judgment. But I, what I would like to suggest is that it is a choice whether you want to be uh, under and protected from the rain or whether you choose to say, I'm okay to stand in the rain. Because he has done absolutely everything possible to bring us into his presence and to protect us from that sense of justice that he has to carry out. An interesting question out, right out of the book, um, of knowing God that Packer presented was just this question, would a God who did not react adversely to evil in this world be morally perfect? So we, we really like the notion of God being a loving God, and we also 
if we're honest, we like the idea that God is just when it comes to other people. Uh, Really recent, as of yesterday, Jeffrey Epstein, for those who read the news, commits suicide in his prison while he's facing sex charges and child pornography charges, what have you. I haven't read a single thing that had a word of compassion about him. Everything that's been written and everything that I've read, at least, was all about this sense of injustice. That those who were affected by him, abused by him, taken advantage by him, will not have their day to face him in court. They will not have the justice that they so desire. We're, we are a people that desire justice. We truly do desire justice. We didn't have a manhunt on, on the other side of the country and then moving in our direction for two young men who potentially killed three people because we don't care about that stuff. The RCMP and the, the military and all of the other people spent millions and millions and millions of dollars trying to track down these two people. Why? Because we believe in justice. We are a people that believe in justice. And we desire that justice is enacted upon other people, but when it comes to us or when it comes to people that we would say, well, they're not so bad, we get uncomfortable and we get squeamish. But the reality is, if God is God and God is good and God is loving, he also has to be just. What would we call someone in this world that was always happy? What would we call someone who looked at all of the evil of this world, all of the torture that happens in this world, all of, just all of the wickedness in the world and, and felt nothing? They were just always gleeful. What would we call them? Phony, okay, maybe. Anything else? A narcissist? A sociopath? I mean, we expect reaction when, when injustice happens, right? So we are a people of, of justice. We desire for justice to be served. And, and again, it's all well and good when it's outward, but then when it comes to us and it's a little bit closer, we get a little bit more uncomfortable because then we question, well, maybe I don't deserve all of that. But what I, what, we're, what I believe Paul was making a case for and what I'm making a case for is that all have sinned. If God is really God and I'm not God, then, then I deserve the wrath and the punishment that's coming my way. And God says, yeah, but we're going to pour that out on my son Jesus so that you have the opportunity to be covered by that. And you will no longer have to sit under judgment. You no longer have to sit under my wrath. It's an amazing thing. Here's the interesting thing. You guys are doing great. You can stay where you are. Uh, here's the five. Yeah, I know I'm terrible at time. Uh, here's what I realized, though, and I think this is always really, really important, is that we have to see the full view of Scripture from beginning to end. And and I believe that there is a narrative that sometimes we miss in Christian circles that doesn't see the full story from beginning to end. So what I actually would like is I would like another volunteer that would go and stand beside Anne on that side. Do we have anyone that would stand beside Anne on that side? Thank you, Zoe. And I will not read it all, but if we go back to the very beginning, yeah, get the, the, the order matters, okay? So, yeah. Um, if we go back to the very beginning, if we go to Genesis 1 and 2, here's what we see. We see that God created male and female, men and women, in his image. And then the picture we see 
is this beautiful image of God walking in relationship with Adam and Eve in the garden. In Genesis 1 and 2, there is no mention of God's wrath, God's punishment, any of it. It is simply the beauty of God walking with people. And so for that, God is, God's a cool guy, so he wears Converse. You want to hold on to that? And I'm so sorry. Uh, and, and he walks with us. So the picture of the beginning of Scripture is not wrath and judgment. It's actually God walking with us. No judgment, no wrath, because it's not necessary, because sin and evil and corruption and wickedness and jealousy and insecurity and all the things that make this world broken and all the things that God has to, ju- to, to, to fix, to make right, they don't exist yet. And so he's just in relationship with us. And then if we fast forward to the very end, I need one more volunteer. One more, one more. Yes, thank you, Lynn. We get back to Revelation, Revelation 21, 1 to 5. Read this and it's so good. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them, they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. So when we look at things from the whole story of scripture, the narrative of our faith does not begin with wrath and judgment, but rather begins with a God who walks and delights in his creation and his people. And the end of the story is the exact same picture again. It is a God, if you would please hold on to that. And it is human. I'm so sorry. Uh, it is hu- humanity walking together in, in perfect reconciled relationship. So this is sort of what I imagined as, as the story of God's wrath. This is, as, as I have tried to make sense of it, this is how I've imagined the story of God's wrath in our world and in our lives, that it begins with a beautiful relationship that's broken and needs to be fixed. And the only just way to address it is that there needs to be punishment, death. And so we hear this story, Wrath, punishment, wrath, punishment, and then, and then we hear about Jesus. And he says, you can't do this. I will do it for you. I will step in and I will be your substitute. And he pours out all his wrath and fury and everything onto Jesus on the cross. And then we are able to be under the blood of Christ. We're able to be under that and protected from the wrath and judgment of God. Or we can choose not to be. Or we can stand in the rain and know that we still, there's still a judgment here to come. And at the end of the story, we're once again in beautiful relationship God with God, walking hand in hand. How many of you think that this is pretty close? With me? So I did two. 
until this morning. And then I realized the whole, no, I'm just kidding. The whole thing's not wrong. Uh, And then I realized there's something wrong about it from my perspective. Because of what I believe, the narrative of scripture is not just messages of judgment until a certain point in time. I believe if we're true to the whole of scripture, the message of scripture is actually that yes, messages of wrath and, and punishment and judgment, but at this whole time, He is desiring to be with his people. He's desiring to walk with us and have relationship with us. So I need shoes. Matthew, I need one of your shoes. Give me your shoe. (laughs) Just one. I'm so sorry whoever's going to have to hold this one, let me tell you. (laughs) So we need shoes. So Anne, put a jar down. Put a jar, just put it on the ground. And hold this in your hand. We need another shoe. Justin, give me your shoe. Nice, you can put a jug down and, and go there. Pat, you hold both. So I think, and again, this is illustration. Every illustration breaks down, but I think that this is actually the, the narrative of God and wrath and punishment throughout the course of human history because it's not just a story throughout the Old Testament until the person of Jesus comes that it's wrath and judgment because through the entirety of human history, He's wanting to walk with us. He's wanting to be with us. He's wanting to be in relationship with us. But he doesn't punk out by getting to this point and saying, well, it's kind of wrath and kind of judgment because I want to be with you. No, it's still the full fury and wrath and rage under control being poured out on his son. So this stays the same. And then this remains the same too, that we can be under this. We can be protected because of this or we can stand in the rain. But at the end, we ultimately have the opportunity to walk with God and to be in relation with him. I think this is actually the story of God. I think this is the story of of God's love. I think it's the story of God's wrath. I think it's the story of God's justice. And I think it's the story that all goes together because we can't separate it. We can't just say, well, this is a story about wrath and we'll just ignore the conversation of justice. We can't say this is just a story of wrath and we'll ignore the conversation of love because it's all wrapped up together because in God, all things reconcile perfectly. So this, I believe, is how we come to terms with God's wrath, that it is intertwined with his love and his justice with ultimately the desire that we would come under, under him and his protection and walk in relationship with him. You guys are... Done. Thank you so much. You held those for way more than five minutes. I'm a liar. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) We'll give that. Yeah, thank you. So we'll we'll end with... uh, We'll end with this. And then actually we're going to listen to uh, a song and just sort of as a reflection. Uh, so here's a really, really interesting, fascinating verse. And most of us here will know it. It says, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Um, it is the realization that God is God and we are not. Uh, it is the realization of the God of the universe and our place in that universe. Um, who are we really to judge 
if God is doing right. I mean, if we really understand the size and scope of a God who created the entire universe, who are we to stand in judgment and pointing the finger in? And Paul makes that argument in Romans. If God is then, then truthfully, he could and can do whatever he pleases. I mean, the fact that we are told that God is good, the fact that we are told that God is love is, is a miracle, is, feels like a miracle in itself. Because if God is God, God could be whoever he wants to be. But he is a loving God. The scripture says he is love. And the reality is most religions, most ma- major faith groups camp here. They camp around the story that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. What I'd like to propose to you is this, that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. I agree with that but it is certainly not the end of wisdom. Romans 8 again says, therefore there is now no condemnation. And it goes on to say later in the verse, he says, for you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship or daughtership. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. John says, perfect love drives out fear. And so the big narrative again is that as Christians, we don't live fearing God. We shouldn't have this worry and fright and anxiety over the judgment that may come because we sit under his grace. We sit under the umbrella of his protection of the work of Jesus on the cross. And so in a message of wrath, I felt like we had to actually end in the conversation of love. Because again, the two are tied together. Justice, wrath, love, they all are married. I don't get it. I'm not God, but I know that they all work together. And I think the end of the story is ultimately love. Love from the beginning, a pursuing love, love at the end.